0: ministry called Faith Dialogue. We're not a denominational church here in Celebration, Florida. And we're in the middle of a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the Acts of the Apostles. So today we'll be, in the, we'll be back in the 19th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Previously we saw the Apostle Paul meeting with a group of, of 12 disciples. And we found out with these 12 disciples that they were lacking a huge part of our New Testament theology, and that is they had no knowledge, no knowledge at all of the Holy Spirit. Now that gave us a, an important opportunity and a realization that God saves us, people like you and me, God saves us despite our true understanding of, of who He is and the and the, and the Holy Spirit. Um, quite frankly, it's, it's, a, it's the belief in Jesus Christ and him resurrected uh, that, that brings us in to the throne of God and we are, we are saved. We are born again. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans uh, chapter 10 said this. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your, in your heart uh, that God has raised him from the dead, you will, you will be saved. So we saw that these 12 disciples uh, that didn't know the holy Script, the holy spirit the scripture says that when paul placed his hands on them the holy spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied and afterwards we read that paul had spoken uh, uh, boldly then in the synagogue for three months uh, but some of the jews um in the synagogue refused to believe and maligned the way and they rose up against Paul and Paul left and then began to teach in a local school that was called the lecture hall of Tyrannius. and Paul taught there for for two years so if you recall the last thing we we touched on was this obvious reference in the acts of the apostles and it's included about five different times in the acts of the apostles and that is the early name for the christian church the early name for the christian church was the way Uh, likely we said that this name the way was from the saying of Jesus whose Jesus said he was the way the truth and the life and now this gave us additional evidence to understand that apollos was taught accurately because it says that the scripture says that he was instructed in the way there's that word the way of the lord you know, one of the things we we didn't cover, but I, I do want to call our attention to it. So I'm going to go back to, to something we said last week. And that was these Jewish men in the synagogue that had hard had hard hearts. The scripture says this, that says they refused, refused to believe. So think about that. Uh, Paul is a, a Pharisee. He's been he's been trained by one of the leading Jewish scholars, not only of his age but literally of all time, the famous Rabbi Gamaliel, and and Rabbi Gamaliel taught him um, to be passionate about the Scriptures. He he had a tremendous knowledge of the Scriptures. Um, he was organized. Uh, he was well thought of, and and this is the other thing. Paul was preaching. Good news, not bad news, but good news. The Messiah had come. There was a clear pathway to heaven. Jesus had paid the price for uh, for their redemption, and Paul could show clearly in the Old Testament that the Messiah that they were waiting for had to first suffer and die. But the scripture says that they refused to believe. Now, this refusal to believe is a result of of a hard heart. And actually when there's so much emotion and religious baggage attached to a particular belief, there becomes some, you could say, emotional scar tissue. And it's, about, it's in the heart and, and this cannot or, or will not heal. Now today, today there are still some that, that refuse, refuse to believe. They refuse for, for many reasons. Most of it is not rational. And again, as a tie to an emotional, uh, an emotional bondage that they have, that that makes them refuse uh, to believe actually the truth. When even when they know it's the truth, you know there was a person I thought I, I knew very well, and and he finally told me that um, he refused to believe in the God I, I taught of, the God I believe in, and he said I refuse to believe in a God that actually wanted him to get this forgive the person, the drunk driver that killed his sister. Now that was a horrible accident, and we all feel for him, uh, but he's correct. Uh, forgiveness is something that's taught in the Bible. And it's interesting that he, he picked up on that one thing that told me, or he told me, that that was the reason why he refused to believe. And it's unfortunate because he refused to forgive someone and believe in a God who actually has already In the past forgiven us so that was the first 10 verses of chapter 19 last week and we're going to pick up um, a couple of truths a couple of truths based on our teaching from last week Uh, the first truth is if um, we know that if you know Jesus and are following Jesus you have the Holy Spirit everyone that is born of God, born again, or saved, has the Holy Spirit, that's past tense, because it's the Holy Spirit that's our, the agent of salvation. And this is true even as we saw last week, even if you don't know there is a Holy Spirit, it's still the Holy Spirit that is the agent of our salvation. The Apostle Paul said clearly that if the Spirit of God dwells in us, then we are His. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So it's the Holy Spirit that is the, is the agent of salvation. And we see this as well in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. If you remember that conversation back in the third chapter of John, Jesus said the Holy Spirit was the very breath of God and is the life-giving force of creation and the, and the, the cause of the new birth. The second truth, the takeaway from last week, was that uh, John the Baptist said that there was someone coming after him. John was baptizing a baptism of repentance, but John said there was one that was coming after him that would baptize in power and in fire, and of course this was Jesus. And the scriptures clearly illustrate uh, what we saw on Pentecost Sunday, that all of us the Holy Spirit came in power and, and a mighty rushing wind, and there were, there were signs and wonders that were uh, displayed after the uh, Holy Spirit came and baptized the 120, along with the 12 apostles, in, in fire and in power. Now, it's the Holy Spirit that provides these manifestations, these wonders, and even tongues and prophecy. But we said that the Bible clearly says that all do not speak in tongues. All do not prophesy. At the same time, Paul said to do not, do not despise prophecy. So because Paul said it, we, we won't. So that brings us to our scripture today. And we are in the 19th chapter of the book of, the, of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we'll begin in verse 11. That's Acts 19 beginning in verse 11. And this is what the scripture says. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches there were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded." This became known both known both to the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds and many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So we start off with a a few words from this uh, this initial passage that I I believe are important. It says that God worked unusual miracles dr. Luke says these were unusual miracles and then he gives us an example or a couple of examples he says that Paul's handkerchiefs or, or aprons now actually an apron according to um, the, some of the dictionaries that I took a look at uh, uh, were used by workers to keep the sweat off their bodies in essence they were they were uh, like like a sweatband Um, And and it says, Dr. Luke says that these handkerchiefs and aprons could be laid on a person by themselves, no Apostle Paul required, and that person was, was healed and it would also chase away demons. Now, Dr. Luke says that these were unusual miracles. So since Dr. Luke said they were unusual even for Paul, let's not make them normative. We don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about how these things could be. They, Dr. Luke already says these were unusual even for Paul, even during the apostolic era. Now, this of course applies to modern day preachers that want to send you handkerchiefs that are, that are blessed. But it also applies, and listen to this, it applies also to any religious article that is thought to bring blessings, miracles, or good luck. You know, I handed out some copies of my, my book, Roaming Catholics, last week in, in class uh, or after the service. And in chapter 13 of my book, I actually uh, talk about this. I talk about religious articles that are commonly used today by people that don't have uh, great faith in God, and they actually have more faith in these articles, these charms and portions. Uh, I tell the story of burying St. Joseph upside down. Have you ever heard of this? Let me read you just a small section from my book. This is again, chapter 13 of the book, Roaming Catholics. When I attended St. Joseph's Catholic school and I became an altar boy, I had never heard of the practice of burying uh, St. Joseph's statue in the ground in order to bring good luck in selling a house. I first heard of the practice much later in the 1980s when the real estate market was particularly soft. If you haven't heard of this practice, let me elaborate. According to some unofficial Catholic websites, the custom supposedly dates back to the 16th century. The story goes that St. Teresa, the founder of the Carmelite order, was building a new convent and she needed money to purchase land. Her thoughtful nuns called on St. Joseph to help with getting the funding and also buried medals with St. Joseph's likeness on them. Apparently the process worked and as a result, the custom continued. Now today on Amazon, anxious home sellers can purchase a St. Joseph home seller statue kit for less than $10 with instructions on how to bury a three inch statue of St. Joseph upside down. For some reason, the statue is buried upside down. I'm not sure exactly why that custom is there. The Catholic supply of some company of St. Louis offers four different kits, including a deluxe version for $11 and 95 cents. And one is even in Spanish. So what does this, Burying St. Joseph upside down have to do with today's message. Well, a St. Joseph statue that's designed to bring good luck is a type of a charm or better called an amulet. Amulets are things that are worn. They're carried or placed in strategic places by people to protect them from from evil, from from negative energy or injury, and also to bring good luck or, or fortune. Uh, what God says about what does God say about people that use these types of amulets? Well, the prophet Isaiah calls them out, along with the people that use them. Uh, uh, the Isaiah says, um, and this is Isaiah chapter two, verse six: They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divinations like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. You know the Scriptures warn us: In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of the anklets, the headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, and amulets. And that's Isaiah chapter 3 verses 18 through 20. And and the Lord's not talking about jewelry. He's talking about superstitious items that are worn as amulets, as protections against evil, things that are supposed to bring good luck. The word amulet can be translated as a a charm. The word actually comes from the word in Hebrew to to whisper, as if something is said secretly as a whisper. You know, just as the Israelites uh, copied the idolatry and the superstitions of the pagan people around them, including the practice of wearing amulets and magic charms, people today, even professing Christians say they, say they follow Jesus, they'll also embrace these amulets, these good luck charms, these superstitions. And, and God issues a, a stern warning uh, of this practice of those who, of those who wear amulets. In Ezekiel chapter 13, for example, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord has to say. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various length for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? I am against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that ensnare, you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands, and they will no longer fall prey to your power. You know, these amulets, they, they try to rep- replicate the miraculous. And that's actually what's happening here in the scripture today. In the 19th chapter, we see God was performing extraordinary miracles through the apostle Paul. God was showing in signs and miracles. And, and he did this in order to substantiate Paul's message. Some of these miracles included casting out demons from those who were possessed. You know, Jesus had given the authority, that authority to his apostles, uh, authority over demons. In Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus says, um, it says of Jesus, Then he appointed twelve, that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out demons. And, and Paul as well. Paul uh, was also an apostle, like the twelve. But just like an amulet or a charm is a pretender, a substitute, there were religious pretenders in, in Ephesus. They claimed to have special miracle working powers. Verse 13 that I read says, "'Then some of these itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. And they said, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul, Preaches. These itinerant Jewish exorcists were they were hucksters. They were like the people that you see along the, the road and, and a small little office a little a little TN of some kind that has a sign outside that says fortune telling and likely they were somewhat successful uh, either through positive thinking or possibly even through cooperation with the evil spirits. Then there's this interesting involvement with the seven sons of Sceva. I love saying that, don't you? The seven sons of Sceva. They're identified, Sceva is identified as a Jewish high priest, although we have no record of of how he would be a high priest, especially since he's in Ephesus. High priests were only in in, uh, Jerusalem. But the scripture says that they went around, went around driving out evil spirits. Now seeing the success that Paul had in driving out evil spirits by exercising them, the seven sons of Skeva decided that they were going to use some of the words, you know, the, the the sayings that Paul had, and to see if they could do the same thing. And and they basically said, "In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to to come out." Well, the formula for the the seven sons of Skeva were using kind of backfired on them. Uh, One day they ran into a demon with an attitude and the demon speaks to them uh, through this possessed man. And the demon says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Can you imagine a demon actually speaking to you? I think most of us have a healthy respect for the evil, the power of the dark and the darkness of, of demons. I don't want one ever speaking to me. Well, the demon, turned on them viciously. And the scripture says that the demon-possessed man jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's verse 16. You see, these seven sons of Sceva were, were the counterfeits. The apostle Paul was the real thing. And the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit was able to accomplish things. And the demon knew that the seven sons of Sceva, uh, they weren't even believers in Jesus. They were were Jewish exorcists. Uh, They were just sons of a a man that claimed to be uh, the high high priest. Uh, They were no match. They were no match actually for this demon and the demon called them out. We see, God uses all of these situations, even these unusual situations for his glory. The scripture passage today says that because of this, everyone in Ephesus was seized with fear. And it says the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling of their deeds. You know, God has no has no equal. And the Ephesians could tell the difference between the mighty works that Paul was able to accomplish and the poor imitation from these imposters, particularly when they were confronted with an, an actual demon, with an attitude. As a result, the scriptures say, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So in, in closing today, let's learn from this account of the seven sons of, of Skeva. First, demons are powerful Uh, and they're also dangerous demons you see are are fallen angels they're powerful spirit built beings they have the ability to possess people and the people that are possessed can do extraordinarily evil and violent things and sometimes are completely uncontrollable secondly demons can recognize the difference between the authentic and the imitation You know, amulets, charms, statues, pyramids, superstitions, and all these imitations of the real are actually quite harmful. God is not pleased with them because they're attributing a supernatural power that actually belongs to, to God alone. Thirdly, demons can actually recognize valid authority, and they fear God. Whether you recognize it or not, as a child of God, you have authority over the power of darkness you know the apostle paul tells us this he apostle paul says this he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers of the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places then paul goes on and he says therefore take on the whole armor of god that you'll be able to withstand the evil and having done all to stand stand therefore having fastened with the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and for shoes on your feet having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you may be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit which is the word of god and then he and he concludes by saying praying at all times with all prayer and supplication and these words these words that paul wrote that i just paraphrased are words to the people of ephesus the same people that experienced these demon-possessed men this demon-possessed man mop the floor with these seven sons of Sceva. these verses from the sixth chapter of of paul's letter to the ephesians shows us also that uh, there's not a formula a saying that we use but it's actually the true power of God. And we have this power through faith, through the word of God, through the righteousness that comes, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God that comes through a relation with Jesus Christ. Now these words, the words we can use will overcome evil. And they're the words of scripture, words like we are more than conquerors or Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of god that's in christ jesus or you can even combine them and say i am in christ i'm a child of god i am a a new creation i I want you to notice that in today's scripture the seven sons of Sceva, incident also inspired the ephesian believers it says the jews as well as the greeks these followers of the way to rid themselves of any remaining connection to the occult to the demonic, uh, they, it says they burn their magic books. And based on the value that Dr. Luke tells us, they're based in silver. It also included probably a lot of silver with the books, including gold and precious stones, likely fashioned or used as an idol, a good luck charm an amulet. You know, it reminds me of the story in the Old Testament of the, uh, the Old Testament prophet Gideon. Uh, God had told him to tear down his father's altar to Baal and to cut down the Asherah poles. God was not pleased with Israel's idolatry and told uh, Gideon to act. You know, perhaps God is is telling us to do that today in our own lives. We need to always be careful what we embrace. Even if we consider it just a harmless good luck charm, And that includes all those things in our computers, our books, our, our statues, our charms, maybe the Ouija board in your closet, whatever else has any connection to the demonic. Perhaps like Gideon, God is telling you to get rid of them, destroy them. Remember, whatever spiritual force that we embrace that is not of God is actually demonic. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for our scripture today. We thank you, Lord, for this. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.